Ayla Brooke and the Soundman getting us started on this Friday morning. It is April 9th. I am Ryan Jesperson. This is Real Talk. He is Samuel Brooks. I don't think I've ever seen an air tambourine before. That no, was, there you uh, have it. That was nice. What did you think of my form? I, I mean, that's good tambourine form as, as a as as you know an occasional uh, fill-in percussionist myself. I know oh, really? The, I know I know the tambourine form. You want? I mean, you get the sound by hitting it against your other hand. Yeah. Right? So, uh, here's the thing. Yeah. Pe- people might think that the tambourine is some sort of a joke you know people might people might think that you put the tambourine in the hands of of the individual that is incapable of playing any other instrument but that is in fact incorrect Uh, i I would agree a a tambourine that is improperly integrated uh, into a musical interlude or any type of artistic production can be a real problem i i would extend that to egg shakers and jingle bells as well mm. both sound awful if not played correctly jingle bells is a huge one yeah. uh and, and i'm glad you brought that up because the, the last thing anybody wants to see is is a great performance destroyed by the misuse of jingle bells uh i i can think of so many times where uh are they really called jingle bells actually or are they or are they just they probably have some other name I who are 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 percussion minded real talkers can maybe fill us call, in on that one. What do you call the one that you you hold it in your hand and it almost looks like an exfoliator, but it has the the uh, the steel balls? Oh that, yeah, I don't. Again, you know I don't one, know the you? name of that instrument. Yeah. So yeah. as a as a fill in percussionist, uh, Sam, does this like did you have like for example, let's say in junior high band class? Yeah. Uh, would you be Would you be hoping that there would, would there be one that you would automatically go to on the table of of supplement Mental percussion instruments was there one that you would gravitate toward? I mean, I, I I rarely got to play this, but if if you're gonna lay out like an orchestra's worth of like supplemental percussion instruments, the go-to favorite has to be the vibra slap. The vibra slap. That sounds like the name of a band. Yeah, vibra slap. <laughs> Where it sounds like it sounds like one of those things that's like it's it's like four. It, it's not four payments. It's four easy payments. <laughs> Of twenty nine ninety five for easy payments of twenty nine ninety five, and the vibra slap will take care of all that <laughs> cottage cheese on your hamstrings. You know those, those types, you know those types of bits. You know the ones I'm talking about. They show oh, them, and they're like, bah, 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 bah. they have these like pounding, and you only need to hold it up against your, and, bah, 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 and pretty soon the cottage cheese is gone. <laughs> with with the vibra slap for easy payments of twenty nine. I don't. I don't think I've ever described like muscle fatigue as cottage cheese oh, I'm before. Not, I'm but... not talking about muscle fatigue. Oh, the, 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 I'm talking about uh, what's the actual word? It starts with a C. I can't think of it. It's actually. It's like this is like grade seven biology. Oh, someone will get it in the live chat. Someone. Someone knows what we're talking about. Uh, Troy says that his inner band geek is loving this chat. Yeah. Um, Mark, meantime, is looking to start a debate. Uh, Mark puts it out there that Elton John's percussionist is incomparable. Um, uh, James is wondering why we have not made the cowbell reference yet. It's because it's too obvious. That is true. It yeah. would have been too obvious if you would have called for more cowbell. Everyone would have gone. Blah, blah, you know, and, and maybe even <laughs> thrown in the trombone, uh, you know, the the uh, get, get, let, let me tee you up. Um, th- no, I'm trying to recreate something that happened impromptu. So it's going to be a total disaster. 
Sam, can you tell the group, um, I don't want to joke about uh, Prince Philip has passed away, mm-hmm. uh, 99 years old, nice full life, that's great. Um, you know, royal watchers will be mourning his loss today. Obviously, the queen will be missing her lifetime partner. Why are you laughing? It's not funny. Yeah, he I, died. I, it's, it, it's not funny. I think I know what you're teeing me up for. <laughs> well, that's why I'm laughing. So I'm... <laughs> Fatima says, I can see from the conversation, it's clearly Friday. Yes, it is. Uh, And uh, my mother-in-law, Deborah Skelton, is watching from beautiful Middle Lake, Saskatchewan. And she says, right, the instrument that you're looking for is called a, uh, is it a cabasa or is it a cabasa? I think it's a cabasa. That sounds right. Yeah, she's she's a teacher, so so she would know. Uh, Good morning, Middle Lake, Saskatchewan. I've asked you, I tasked you with something, Sam, for our award-winning news coverage that'll be coming up in, in about 25 minutes, and we'll be talking very briefly. We'll let you know what we've already let you know. Well, the entire world right now is talking about Prince Philip, 99 years of age, says the family, says the royal family, says the House of Windsor passed away peacefully at Windsor Castle, and I asked you to line up an image of him, a photo of him. So those that are watching on YouTube, either now, live, or later, uh, we'll be able to say, oh, yes, that's Prince Philip. That's who we're talking about. But we're actually running into some serious problems. <laughs> so, so you know, as as one is apt to do when they're looking for editorial stock photos, I went to Getty Images, which is one of the best, you know, repositories out there. And at the top, it's like royalty-free images, which I'm just like, okay, that's, that's great. I don't have to pay for them. But I guess if they're royalty-free images, I'm not going to find any pictures of Prince Philip there. Yes! Yes! <laughs> If it wasn't COVID, the studio audience would be going crazy <laughs> right now. The studio audience would be going nuts. Uh, Mark B. pointing out, hey, Pr- Prince Philip was a World War II veteran as well. That's right. He was. He, this is not the, the title of his. He, he was second in command. That's not the official title. He was second in command of a destroyer uh, with, with the British Naval Fleet. Um, and, and obviously, uh, I mean, a life of service. I was reading that he averaged 370 public events a year. Now, life would be pretty, let, let's say, life would be pretty good uh, as a white guy in the royal family, born into privilege. Uh, you know, I mean, marries his third cousin, which is a little weird, but I digress. I'm not here to disrespect him. It's how the um, royals roll. It's how the royals roll. A life of privilege, but also uh, there's a lot to it. And can you imagine, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you're, you're Prince Harry. All you're trying to do is mind your own business and go to a party dressed up as Adolf Hitler. You're just trying to mind your own business. And the next thing you know, uh, of course, I'm I'm, I'm being glib. Uh, but the eyes of the world, every single misstep, every single mistake is amplified to a degree that none of us could ever possibly understand. And I will say I, I was reading this morning, it's estimated that he, uh, you know, for example, delivered more than 5,500 speeches over the course of his career, averaged 370 events a year. It would be exhausting. It truly is. Yes, it's a life of great privilege, unimaginable privilege, but also a life of service to people. You're called into it and, 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 and you sign up for it. And I would imagine it would be on some days probably quite difficult. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's like, I don't know. I I'm constantly confused about how I feel about the royal family. I, I generally think they're unnecessary, but that's that's a whole other conversation. But it, you're right. It's you know you're sort of you're born into this position where 
you have no choice but to be a public figure for your life. Yeah. Um, you can understand why Harry and Meghan wanted to leave that life. Like, it's just, it's every aspect of your being is controlled and curated and you're expected to be on all the time and be this figurehead for, you know, for, for the monarchy all the time and be this public figure that's around the world. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. Um, Linda Ray helping us out. We have six conversations currently underway all at once. We're talking about junior high band. Uh, we're, we're talking about the uh, uh, cottage cheese on our hamstrings, all of us, uh, most of us, especially during COVID. And, and Linda Ray has helped us out. She says, Ryan, the word you're looking for is, of course, any last guess to Sam? Of course, it's cellulite. Ah, uh, yes. Um, cellulite. I knew that because <laughs> our first guest wrote it to me in the Zoom chat, and he actually guessed first. Is he here? Is he he's ready here. to go? He's here. He's ready to go. I've yeah. never met him before. I've never spoken with him before, and he's wondering, <laughs> what in the hell is this show about? He's a, he's going to be thinking, he's going to be thinking, uh, Reverend Tyler Hoyan Sit, who's a, a rising progressive Christian voice. They're writing about him. They're writing about his new city church in Minneapolis, um, in the Atlantic, and in the New York Times. And, he, and he's under the impression that this is a serious show. So maybe we should get serious for a second. But we're also having a lot of fun. Trash talk today, let me tell you, uh, is going to be out of control. I have never. I, I look like Alberta's government right now uh, with freedom of information requests, the way that I'm having to redact some of these emails because I cannot read. I've already gone through three Sharpies having to edit. For example, David's email. David writes in the, the subject line is 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 words that I dare not utter this early on a Friday morning with with the littles gathered around the family breakfast table. As you all tune into Real Talk, I can't even read the subject line of David's email right now. But don't worry, we'll we'll give you the earmuffs warning uh, a little later on. It's coming up in, you know, approximately, we'll say an hour and 20 minutes between now and then. We're going to talk about ongoing violence against people of color, especially Asian Americans. That's why Reverend Sit is joining us in just a moment. And then we're going to circle back on a story that's obviously been part of a national discussion on resource development, exploration, government consultation, policy we're going to circle back on coal, and I'm very much looking forward to the roundtable that we've put together today. You've heard David Luff on the show before. He was one of the architects of Alberta's 1976 coal policy under former Premier Peter Lougheed. We're going to talk to Katie Morrison from CPAWS. She's their conservation director. Mandy Olsgaard is a toxicologist who's doing studies currently underway. She used to work for the Alberta Energy Regulator, so Mandy gets it. She'll be uh, kind of, with respect to all the others, uh, I would say Mandy right now is our insider on how the AER works, plus she's currently doing work on this. And we're also going to welcome wildly popular singer-songwriter Corb Lund, uh, who's going to join us here on the show. I gave Corb the heads up. I could try to spin it as impromptu, but because so many of you were in touch with me, either via our email inbox at talk at ryanjesperson.com or on Twitter, you use the hashtag RealTalkRJ to catch our attention. So many of you said, would you mind asking Corb to maybe play a tune? So I gave him a heads up. I can't make any promises. But I did let Corb know that real talkers today have their hopes sky high. So I wouldn't rule anything out. I mean, Corb Lund, you know, right now, uh, as far as 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 tunes played on real talk, he's batting a thousand. That's correct. We can say with confidence every time he appears on the show, he plays. Yes. Last time was quite last time legitimately was impromptu. 
Do he I remember no him? Power. Have and I, he was in his barn because he, he had, had no power. He had candles yeah, burning all around him. And he was joining us on his phone. The power was out. And he delivered, in, in, in my mind, in an intimate and interactive way. Remember that? That used to be such a great show. Uh, so Core Blunt's coming up along with the rest of our Cole Real Talk Roundtable. And, of course, Trash Talk before we wrap things up and send you into the weekend. This conversation and today's show is proudly presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. I was just talking to their team yesterday. I'm super excited that a real talker. Actually, I can't announce that. Yeah, can I announce it? I shouldn't announce it. It's not my news to announce. How about this? I won't say his name, but a real talker, an audience member that connected with Bitcoin well through the show just got hired there. How cool is that? Yesterday, a real talker is now joining the team. When I can say his name and talk about all the cool things he's going to do, then I will. But I love when these worlds collide. If you're trying to make sense of crypto, you know where to go. Check out the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I'm very much looking forward to welcoming our first guest to the program today. He's uh, joining us uh, from his home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's where he pastors New City Church. He's recognized as a rising progressive Christian voice. It's a real pleasure to welcome to the program the Reverend Tyler Hoyan Sit. Reverend, welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us today. Thanks so much for having me. I, I was in the lounge and I heard Vibra slap and cellulite <laughs> and I knew I would be at home. So yes, that's <laughs> thanks right. for having me. I almost feel like cellulite is like the supporting act. Like if Vibra slap is headlining the music festival, cellulite right. is, is cellulite right. is like providing backup vocals. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like cellulite has to bring the snacks and, and for the green room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But then like is doing great. Yeah, that's right. But, I, but ironically on the rider, cellulite probably eats things like celery and carrot sticks and cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's right. Very, that's right. Very, very tough to figure out. Um, I, I was about to I was about to segue uh, in, in gross fashion because everybody would have groaned and say, Tyler, you're. Uh, when, when we heard from your publicist, um, I know everybody's excited about your new book, Staying Awake, the Gospel for Changemakers. Um, the pitch in talking to you jumps off the page. Uh, your publicist says, says uh, Tyler Sitt, the Reverend Sitt, is a rising progressive Christian voice, a queer millennial Asian pastor. And I went, I could talk to this guy for 10 hours. And so I'm so excited that you're here. What does it mean to be a progressive Christian voice in today's landscape? Yeah, so I always think it's funny because um, uh, newspapers always label me as the, a liberal pastor, a progressive pastor. But really, at the end of the day, I'm trying to be a Christian and, and following Jesus from, from my understanding necessarily requires a commitment to social justice a commitment to centering marginalized voices and a commitment to, to um, publicly shaping society in a way that makes it so that all of God's children can have things like healthcare and housing. And apparently that makes me uh, a radical leftist. Well, you know, we talk, um, we, we, the, the word socialist has, yeah. has been, has become so supercharged these days. And I've, I, and I've tried to remind my friends of faith many times that, that Jesus was absolutely a socialist. Uh, there is no doubt about it in my mind. And I feel like some people have lost their perspective on that. 
I mean, when we look at Acts 2, there's a clear reference to the early church selling all of their possessions and making sure that all the needs of, of the people who were poor were taken care of. So I think, I mean, that, that happened before the label socialist existed. So that was just labeled followers of Jesus. So, so um, I, I think that like this concept of like, we as a society are responsible for each other is something that predates even the concept of socialism. And the fact that we're kind of like siloing it into socialism, I think really speaks to the world that capitalism has created. Do you, I'm not sure, Reverend, if you're familiar with this story, uh, but but really quickly, there, there's a church just west of the city where we're coming to you from in, in Edmonton, Alberta. It's called Grace Life Church. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but they've been defying public health orders. Are you familiar with the story? Their pastor sat in jail for about four weeks. There's been a lot of publicity around it. Police just assisted health officials in putting physical, actual, literal fences up. Uh, around the property the other day and the church is making a lot of noise about it as you might understand I would imagine that they're raising a ton of dough about it but you know who's most ticked off we do a segment called trash talk uh, we're going to present that later today this is where our audience members can blow off a little steam uh, the, the language is NSFW it's not safe for work but I'll tell you the people that are most upset about this are Bible believers people that are saying yes. they are smearing the name of our Lord they are denigrating the reputation of what we do Christianity, I mean, if you were to talk about it in the context of the United States right now, people trying to wrap their mind around the evangelical support for former President Donald Trump, people might not be able to sort out what Christianity is all about today. Is that fair? I think that's absolutely fair. And I mean, New City Church has been 100 percent online since COVID hit, and we see it as a continuation of the Christian tradition of being in diaspora community like Paul. So much of the Bible is Paul writing letters because he was far away from them. <laughs> and so like Christians are used to having to create community under unlikely circumstances and oppression and, and uh, uh, pandemics even. So the fact that Christians are taking such a stance on insisting on worshiping, I think is uh, really problematic, least of which because kind of like you're alluding to, there's, there's a whole financial dimension to this, right? Like a lot of the churches that are pushing for in-person worship also run the biggest, most expensive buildings that require people to be in them to be a financially sound unit, right? So like, we're kind of like reaping what we sow by having these like ultra, ultra productionist churches that then require people to act even against their own self-interest to be able to sustain themselves. Reverend, how have you, uh, in, in planting this church, let, let me let me clarify for, first, you you were one of the people that, that established New City Church, is that correct? Is that accurate? That's right. What was the premise of it? What was different about this one? I mean, why are they writing about it in the New York Times? Yeah, so it's funny because I landed in Minneapolis. I'm from Minneapolis, spent 10 years away, came back, and um, I did a prayer walk through every neighborhood and just listened to the community and my passion is, is around climate change activism. And so I, I pitched like, I'm planting a church that focuses on climate change. And I had no idea what that meant, but I knew that it was something that needed to happen. So um, as I was listening to my community, I, I landed in the Powderhorn neighborhood, which is a very racially diverse community, very economically diverse community. And I was talking to folks about it. And one of the folks said, um, that sounds great, but my husband just got deported and I need to pick up a third job to take care of my kids. So you do climate change. I got to go. And I was like, okay, so a church that focuses on climate change isn't speaking to the felt needs of people. So I, I started 
uh, calling it an eco church because I thought that sounded kind of sexy. Who's been to an eco church before? Uh, but I did a, a focus group with some of my African American friends, and they said uh, an eco church sounds bougie. It sounds expensive. It sounds like an eco toilet bowl cleaner that like costs more but cleans worse. <laughs> like, do we That's actually get in, Do we actually like. get into heaven if we go there? Does like, that actually does it deliver? actually count, or is it just like a like a vinegar yeah. <laughs> combination? Yeah. And I was like, okay, so we're not going to call it <laughs> an eco church anymore. So I kept listening. And um, in the neighborhood, we hear we heard this story of how in the 80s and 90s, our neighborhood struggled with lots of drugs and crime. And uh, the community organized and put in bike lanes and planted gardens and got one of the three factories that was giving kids asthma out of the neighborhood. But they were so successful at making the neighborhood amazing that the cost of living started going up. And the same people who built the neighborhood were getting kicked out to other neighborhoods. Mm. So we started talk, having conversations about that and about gentrification and about uh, like what God thinks about all of this. And eventually we landed on this image from Revelation 21 of a new city. That, and that's what heaven is, a place where all tribes are welcomed in, where there's no more violence and the whole earth is renewed. So we started talking about it in that way, in a way that was most relevant to folks uh, in the community. And we didn't set out to be like an ultra different, cool, different church. We just set out to directly address the things that people thought were most important. And that's how we got to where we are. Isn't it interesting? I mean, when we talk about weaponized words, socialism might be one of them. Social justice is another. As a matter of fact, for people to insult someone by saying, you know, sneering and calling them a social justice warrior, to me, that's always come across as a bit of a compliment. How have your efforts, how is your perspective, how is the whole premise behind the church resonated with the, with the greater faith community? You're clearly, I would imagine, making some people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because we keep getting this feedback that somehow we're not uh, following the Bible or reading the Bible, but like New City Church is super Jesus-y. <laughs> we're like looking at what Jesus did around and we're like, wow free healthcare. <laughs> That's what Jesus provided, like creating community across different um, systems of power that are, were oppressing people, like all of those things. And I think that our is to live into that. So um, I, I, it's like people say that we're not reading the Bible enough. It's like, it seems like we're pretty much on track. <laughs> Reverend, we're getting your, we're getting just a little bit of an interruption with your Wi-Fi, but I think we'll try to figure it out. We'll keep pressing forward because hopefully we can make this happen. Um, but but I may need to jump in if this continues. It was crystal clear for our first fifteen minutes, so uh, maybe everybody watching can say a quick prayer and see if the Wi-Fi can remain strong at all five bars for us. Um, let me ask you about something. My my understanding is that geographically speaking, uh, your church is is very near uh, to where a former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck for about nine minutes, snuffing out his life, murdering him, in fact. And there's a, there's a trial underway right now. I don't have to tell people that. Uh, this was something that geographically and metaphorically, I would imagine, is very close to you. Yes. So uh, 38th in Chicago, the intersection where that racist murder occurred, is walking distance from where New City Church meets. So uh, this was very relevant to our community. During the uprising, 
we saw white supremacists come from all over the country, uh, coming to break up our neighborhood, coming to set things on fire. We had neighbors find wood soaked in gasoline in the alley, Nazi swastika banners in the alley. Like we found all of these um, kind of like rising outward emergences of white supremacy in our society. And it's like, we always knew that that was there, but I think that for a lot of folks, it was so upfront, so organized and so militarized that it, it really shook us into a new understanding of what it means to live as an anti-racist church. So um, as the Chauvin case is going on, I mean, like even right now, <laughs> we're hearing the testimonies from people. Those are folks who live in our neighborhood, who are neighbors and who are experiencing levels and levels of trauma that we have to respond to. It's uh, It's been really interesting to see conversations, including on this show, start talking about anti-racism in, in the sense that it's got to be a proactive almost an aggressive or intentional perspective. In other words, it's not enough to be against racism or it's not enough to condemn racism, but you have to take positive action. Um, you're a human being. Uh, you know, you're a minister. Uh, you're also a man of Asian descent and instances of hate crimes or of, of, of racist fuels attacks targeting Asian Americans, Canadians of Asian descent, in, in many cases, tragic circumstances, uh, obviously Atlanta and other, you know, women of Asian descent are experiencing uh, acts of clear racism. What are you preaching to your church? What are you seeing? And, and what's your message on that to our audience? Yeah. So the second chapter of my book is called Centering Marginalized Voices. And I have the metaphor of, you know, those like moving walkways at an airport, it's like racism is a moving walkway that's heading towards white supremacy. So it's not enough to just like stand still and say racism is bad because you're still moving <laughs> towards white supremacy. Like the only way that we can actually undo racism is to turn and to actively run against the current. Like that's what it, what it means to be anti-racist in the United States at least. And, it, and it's acknowledging that like, um, unless you are actively anti-racist, you are racist because you are, because you're uh, moving with this current of racism in our society. How are you wrapping your mind around it personally? I mean, I, you know, we have, we have people that write letters to the show um, that, that say things like, I personally am nervous to go out. One woman wrote in and said, I would not take transit because of how I look or because of who I am, because it makes me nervous. I mean, just as a human being, um, what's your perspective and has it changed? I mean, do you, you know, are, are, I don't know if people believe that all of a sudden the United States or Canada or the world is, is demonstrably different than it was a year ago or five years ago, or, or maybe it's been a flare up or maybe we're seeing more incidents or maybe people are more emboldened, but, but how has it impacted your personal perspective? I mean, growing up, I've always known that I was seen as an other in, mm. in Minnesota. I was always asked, so where are you from? Why is your dad so short? Uh, your family talks funny. Like that was just kind of a, a pervasive part of who I am. But certainly in the past year, uh, walking on the sidewalk is really scary. And, and I usually go for walks with my six foot two boyfriend who's white and like kind of watches out for me. Um, I, I, get, I definitely get a lot more looks and I definitely notice people kind of relating to me just physically seeing the shifting differently. Of course, I never want to like 
equate that with having a police officer kneel on my neck for nine minutes. Like these are all different expressions of, of racism on, on different scales, but it absolutely impacts your whole understanding because to be Asian in America means to be seen as a perpetual outsider. Like even if you were born here, no matter how long your family has been here, you're always seen as the newcomer and, and that changes how you show up to the world. Can that change? Like, I don't want to be pessimistic. Um, you get the odd, when you facilitate discussions on these types of things, you'll get the odd comment from someone that may say, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. And based on what I see, you know, whether we're talking about how indigenous people have been treated uh, in Canada and the United States, whether we're talking about America's complicated history, uh, black Americans and, and the plight there, and we could talk about defunding the police, or we could talk about poverty in communities, or we could talk about disproportionate effects of COVID-19 and the pandemic on people of color or people of poverty or marginalized populations. We could go on and on and on. And, and some people will say, based on what I've seen, this isn't going to change. This is human nature. It's part of our reality. Do you think it's possible to see meaningful change? And do you think you could see it in your lifetime? I think that's why it's so important that uh, I have a faith practice because I'm rooting myself in kind of a lineage of wisdom that goes older than like, like Christianity is older than America. Christian, like Jesus was around before whiteness even existed. So knowing that I can be grounded in something that is pre the, the racist system that we're living in gives me a lot of hope. It took us about 400 years to get here as a country in the U S and I think it's going to take about 400 years more before we really see liberation. But the point of, of being in social justice, the point of activism is never to like, like stick the landing and then be completely done. <laughs> you know, like the point is you're contributing forward. You're paying forward to the movement so that uh, people in seven generations are going to be a little bit more free than you are. Let's talk about your book. Before we let you go, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. Uh, we're talking to the Reverend Tyler Hoyan Sit, his new book, Staying Awake, The Gospel for Changemakers. Staying awake. Uh, I, I, I immediately start to feel guilty. I, I think of my teenage years in church where I had actually perfected. It, it was actually, I was quite proud of it at the time. If I interlocked my fingers and hooked my thumbs behind my earlobes, I could appear to be in prayer but my, my head would be locked in position so I could doze off for 10 or 15 minutes at a time. And everyone would think I was the most pious and spiritually focused member of the congregation. In fact, I was catching up on my sleep. What does staying awake mean? Yeah. So I think that when I hear that story as a pastor, it's like, okay, so maybe there's some mentors who could have shown you how to not fall asleep in church. But also that tells me that the church wasn't speaking about something that is so relevant to you that you were on the edge of your seat listening That's to it. That's very true. And I think true. that like a lot of what staying awake as a Christian means is actively looking at the things that are freaking people out the most and then making sense of how God and Jesus relates to that. So the whole premise of staying awake is staying awake to who is being crucified in our society and where is God resurrecting in our society, like where is their hope and new life, but also where is their deep oppression? And unless Christians can keep their eyes open to all of those dynamics, then we're not actually following Jesus. Reverend Tyler Hoyan uh, Sit is uh, the pastor uh, of a new city church in Minneapolis. His new book, Staying Awake, the Gospel for Changemakers, uh, officially out just three days ago. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much for making time for us. 
let me read you a couple before we thank you for your time reverend i love you know we've got people that are tuned in live Uh, a lot of people are going to check this out later when our podcast goes out but but the feedback here some pretty interesting comments like i saw this one from one of our listeners kaylin who says i'll tell you what she says i'm an atheist i'm trying to find her comment it was a great one she said i'm an atheist but i think that if more churches spoke with this kind of language and showed these types of values, young people would be way less likely to be turned off by faith communities. To me, that's a pretty huge compliment. Whoa. Yeah, Kalen. Check out New City Church. <laughs> We're online. <laughs> Thanks, no, Reverend. I, I, think that's, I think that's really true, though. And I think that um, I, I appreciate the atheists in my life who hold me accountable to really speaking to what's most important. So, Thank you for having me on here. This has been a a pleasure. Well, the pleasure has been all ours, Reverend. Thank you so much and and look forward to talking to you again. Uh, You can find uh, Reverend Tyler's new book anywhere you find great books. And of course, you can find New City Church online. I love that. What a great conversation. This is a a good time to remind you that we're keeping an eye on our hashtag right now. That's Real Talk RJ. If you want to chime in live with regards to the conversations we're having on the show or, or maybe later in the day, you want to grab our attention about something? You want to ask myself, or sometimes even people reach out to Sam with questions about the production of the show or your your thoughts and your theories on things. The Real Talk RJ hashtag is powered by Park Power. And, of course, they're in the internet, electricity, and natural gas game. Have been for coming up on 10 years. And, and for the duration of that time, they've been community contributors. And they put their money where their mouth is. They take 10% of their profits and they give them to nonprofits where they live and work. You can follow them on social media to see some of the groups they highlight. If you're on parkpower.ca, make sure you punch in the promo code 2021-REALTALK. That's how you get $70 off your first bill, whether it's commercial or residential at parkpower.ca. We also wanted to remind you that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge are ready to go right now. If you're sick and tired, maybe that car, the, the one that served you so well, but to like 350,000 kilometers and it's starting to rust out and it's starting to belch things out the exhaust and it's time to replace it. The Jeep lineup in 2021 is formidable and you won't find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, proud partners of Real Talk. Also a great time to remind you that it's a time to save money and breathe easy and there's no better time than right now to do yourself and your family a favor by logging on to cleanairclub.ca. You tell them what size of furnace filter you need. It's really easy to find. It's stamped right on the side of the filter that's that's right there on your furnace. You know, you're supposed to change it. I got to change mine. I talk about changing furnace filters every day, but if you said what was the date or the week you last changed your furnace filter? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yep. You know what I need to do is I need to write the date on the furnace filter when I put it in there. They're cardboard. You can just use a Sharpie. It's you can easy. just use a Sharpie. Yeah. You know? Life hacks. I, 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 I hesitate doing stuff like that, like on the fridge. When, when you put stuff leftovers in the fridge and you put the date they went in, then, then it just stares at you and then you start doing the math. I'd rather be blissfully unaware, but not with furnace filters. You go to cleanairclub.ca, you let them know what size of filter you need. They literally drop them off at your door and you're going to pay less than you would in store at cleanairclub.ca. Sam, let's take a quick look at what's making news on this Friday morning. Well, as mentioned, Prince Philip. I was just about to say the husband of Queen Elizabeth II, but if you flip that around and never announced the death of a woman as the wife of somebody, people, would, people wouldn't like that. I wonder if that ever bugged Prince Philip. I guess you sign up for it, to be the husband. Uh, you know, I heard some reports today that sort of talked about how, we talked before how like Prince Philip had a very like deep commitment to public service, but even 
early in his time with the crown, he realized that his job was to be the supportive role as the spouse yeah. of the queen. She was the monarch, and his job was to be the supporter. And quite literally, always or often two steps behind. Yeah. Like, actually, literally two steps behind. 99 years of age, a release this morning from the royal family uh, stating that Prince Philip died peacefully the Duke of Edinburgh. This is an interesting story for Canadians to keep an eye on. Royal Bank of Canada's chief executive is warning the federal government to not overspend on new stimulus measures. Everybody's looking to finance Minister Christian Freeland, wondering what this forthcoming budget's going to look like. Hundreds of billions of dollars in cash, of course, in, in the accounts of Canadian consumers and businesses during this pandemic, says RBC CEO Dave McKay, even without new government spending, those savings will provide a very significant primer to growth and recovery in the Canadian economy. We're going to talking. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to be talking about economic rebound coming up on Monday's show. Very much looking forward to Kelly Keene. If you know her, you know she's a great interview and she's whip smart. Uh, Kelly Keene, the author, will join us at 9 a.m. live Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, coming up on Monday. And the federal liberal government is being slammed today for refusing to allow a staffer to testify on the We Charity scandal, says Conservative MP Michael Barrett. It's disappointing that we find ourselves for a third time experiencing the liberals' choose-your-own-adventure of parliamentary democracy. Uh, much like a similar meeting last week, conservatives, uh, the NDP and the Bloc Québécois indicating pretty public outrage that the liberals are blocking a high ranking staffer by the name of Ben Chin, who is a senior advisor in the prime minister's office from testifying in front of this committee, despite a formal request in the form of a motion adopted by the House of Commons two weeks ago. I also wanted, before we get into our Friday roundtable today, to, to take a moment to remind you that each and every week we partner uh, with Y Station. They're the official research and strategy partner of Real Talk to present our Get Real question of the week. And if you're on our panel, you get an email every week that reminds you. Uh, and if you're online, if you go to RyanJesperson.com, you'll see it right across the top of the page. You can answer our question of the week there. This week, we're coming up on 2,000 responses. A whole bunch of you have a whole lot to say about Alberta's curriculum development. And there's one question that I love that the team at Y Station put in there. It references Mark Kenny, Alberta's premier's grandfather, a big band musician who's featured in the new curriculum. And we ask you, in the context of that, which family member would you feature in the Alberta curriculum? And I loved this email from Joy Ann. I got this yesterday. She said, you know, I've become a regular listener of the Real Talk podcast. And from time to time, I'll check in on YouTube as well. I happily filled out your most recent question of the week about the Alberta curriculum development process. And I answered your question. Who else would you include from your family? Joanne said, I wanted to pass along my response. I loved this. She says, my, my grandfather, Cyril Bud Murphy, and his father, Matt Murphy, were trappers. Bud settled in Jasper Place and built his own home, a family with four kids from the ground up, literally. My father, George Murphy, was instrumental in bringing orienteering and then ski orienteering to Alberta. He also worked for Edmonton Leisure Services. He was the first to integrate what were then called handicapped day camps into so-called regular day camps and later in his career he helped bring about multiple indoor soccer facilities 
And then there's my mother, Nadine Murphy, whose nursing management job got cut by the Ralph Klein government in the early 90s. She went on to be part of the first class of parish nurses from the University of Alberta and spent the remainder of her career assisting members of her church community with challenges in their quality of life, allowing many people to remain somewhat independent for longer than they otherwise might have. Mark Kenny sounds like an interesting guy, but there are everyday heroes and interesting people all around us whose contributions to Alberta could and should be considered just as worthy. And by the way, whose inclusion would not constitute a breach of ethics. Joyad says, I think that that was the coolest question this week. And I think that it would actually be an amazing premise for an entire show to balance out some of the other ones, the heavy ones, the sometimes cranky ones that seem to be all too common in this political climate. That from Joanne. Absolutely love the email. And I'm so excited to see how many of you share stories of the great family members that have come before you, that have set an example for you, whose lives and legacies you celebrate. And I promise you, we'll take some time next week to touch in on these stories I never heard the name Cyril Bud Murphy before. I'd never I'd never heard about Matt Murphy or or I'd never heard about any of the I mean, Nadine Murphy. I didn't know much about the Murphy clan. But now, thanks to Joy Ann, I recognize that they made very real contributions to their communities. And I love it. You can email us anytime at talk at Ryan And again, on our website, that's where you'll find the link to answer our question of the week. We'd love to see uh, more than 2000 people chime in on that one. In this week's edition of the Real Talk Roundtable, we're going to circle back on a story that saw a lot of coverage early on. You know, remember a couple months ago, all you had to do was say coal and Albertans and, and even, you know, other prairie folks. I would imagine anybody paying attention to Canadian politics, regardless of where they were in the country, would go, oh, yeah, the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, this is this is a hot button issue. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's proving to be one of the biggest problems, I think, for this provincial government, a gross misunderstanding of how Albertans would feel about protecting their parks. We've seen a wildly popular Defend Alberta Parks campaign. I don't think there's a single person that's watching or listening to this show that hasn't seen at least one Defend Alberta Parks lawn sign, at least if you're in Western Canada and for sure if you're in Alberta. But that doesn't mean that this story's all done. It doesn't mean that it's all wrapped up with a bow and that there's nothing to keep an eye on and that nobody's worried anymore. So we thought maybe we'd dedicate the next 45 minutes or so to getting a clear understanding of what we still need to be talking about. And it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program three friends of the show. You saw David Luff on the show before. David has done a ton of work on this file, including uh, working as one of the individuals to put together the original Alberta coal policy back in 1976. Katie Morrison is conservation director for CPAWS in Southern Alberta, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, and a good friend of this show. Katie's helping us make sense of a number of different files impacting Alberta's environment at that intersection of the environment and politics. And of course, our third panelist probably needs no introduction, an award-winning singer-songwriter and a favorite of Real Talkers, Corb Lund. To the three of you, welcome back to Real Talk and a good Friday morning. Morning. Good morning. Thanks. 
Corb, you've been you've been keeping an eye on this story. Um, this wasn't it doesn't strike me anyway as the of the type of scenario where somebody reached out to your record label and said, you know, it would be great is is if Corb could just record a forty five second video for us and push it out and draw people's attention to this. This is a file that you you've kind of stuck on. How come? Yeah, the record label called me up and said, hey, we got a great idea for to make the, everybody in the crow's nest pass hate you. <laughs> Hey, by the way, no, did, did your label respond to what you did or no? Do you even worry about that stuff? I don't really worry about it. They're supportive, though. Yeah. They've been re- they've been great about it. They support uh, support the cause. Um, yeah, no, that's that's true. It was very much a personal thing for me because uh, some of the ranching families in the foothills made me aware of the threat, the looming threat, and the fact that the coal policy had been quietly rescinded um, back uh, in December, I think, and I hadn't even heard about it. And I looked into it for a month or so and realized it was a pretty big threat. So, yeah, it was uh, because of the people that that made me aware of it and the research I did that that's what made me speak up about it. But it would have been easy for you to record a video like you did, which saw tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views, probably by now. I would imagine hundreds of thousands easily. It would have been easy for you to do that and, and then kind of go back to a relatively private life, uh, to, to relatively speaking, living out of the spotlight. But you've not done that. What was it about this story that really resonated with you that's, that's kept you motivated? Well, I'm in per- I've become pretty invested in it the more I find out about it because I, I, don't, I don't speak publicly about a lot of causes because I don't, I don't speak publicly unless I'm fairly sure of what I'm saying and somewhat educated on them. So I spent a lot of time researching this stuff. And the more I look at it, I think it's the biggest threat to the most Albertans I've ever seen in my life, possibly. Katie, do you share that sentiment? I mean, that's a hell of a thing to hear. That's that's the type of statement that's going to wake some people up. Yeah, I do. I mean, I keep saying that this is probably the biggest issue of our generation, possibly several generations, as far as it's potential to change not just the environment you know this could have such a massive impact on such a large area of our province um, but also who we are as a province you know our our communities and in society and how we relate to the the landscape Um, and so yeah I I think it's a a massive massive issue and and as you alluded to it's it's not over yet David, you have been on, I mean, you've been familiar with the coal file and, and you've been on this for, for many, many years, obviously, as, as part of the, the Peter Lougheed government back in the 1970s, you, you were a key player in implementing uh, the policy. My understanding is that the current Alberta government has actually approached you uh, to a certain degree to participate in a panel. And, and, and that's, I, I was curious for your words on this. My understanding is that you actually declined the invitation. Can you bring us up to speed on what's been going on? Sure. I was, uh, yes, I was uh, asked to be on the panel by the minister. I was really quite honored to uh, have that opportunity, but I had to decline because of personal family commitments. And what I knew would be the, the time commitment that the panel members will have to make between now and mid November when they provide their recommendations uh, to the minister. I felt that I could provide value and be actually more effective in helping both the minister, the panel, and Albertans more broadly by playing a role of an advisor, that I could be advising the committee from time to time if they felt there was value in that. 
I could be advising the minister from time to time if she felt there was value. And the same with Katie and Corb and the others in the conservation community that I could bring my background and experience uh, to the file as we try collectively as Albertans to move forward on what is, as Katie has said, I think the most important issue facing us in this generation. Okay, so I, so it, so it was not a matter of principle, uh, more a matter of your family reality that, that led you to decline the invitation. But but to be clear, you have been advising Energy Minister Sonia Savage. You have been advising this government. What what has been your message to them? What are, what's the key point that you've asked them to focus on as they attempt, I think, to regain the trust of Albertans on this file? There's a very real trust issue right now. There is a very real trust issue. And one of the things I've advised the minister on and recommended to the minister, which she delivered, which was a panel that would be independent of government. And in her announcement uh, of the panel last week, she indicated clearly, and the chair of the panel, Ron Wallace, indicated clearly that the, uh, the panel would be independent of government and uh, would bring forward recommendations to the government uh, in the mid-November timeframe. Um, some of the advice that I provided the minister um, didn't come through. Um, I would have liked to have seen a panel that was larger than the one that we have. I would have liked to have seen a panel that had representation both from the environmental community and from the ranching and agriculture communities. Um, it's somewhat ironic that uh, the lack of consultation by the government when it uh, rescinded the coal policy was really brought to all of our attention by the ranching community. And um, it's a, we shouldn't lose sight of that. So in some cases, the advice that I've provided has, has been acted on. And in other cases, for reasons known to the minister, um, she hasn't acted on them. But it's important. I think it's important for all of us to think back on where we, when Corb and I were on your show with Laura Lang back in mid-January, we've come a long, long way in two months. Back then, the coal policy was rescinded. It was basically a free-for-all in the eastern slopes as it related to coal. Uh, in mid-February, the minister reinstated the coal policy and was clear that there be no new development in category two, although we have some concerns about the existing exploration that's being proposed, but we've come a long way. Uh, we can't sit back on our laurels. We've got a long way to go. And any advice that I can provide folks uh, as we go forward over the next few months, uh, I'd be honored to and pleased to do so. Corb, it's uh, you know, you joke about, uh, you know, people having strong feelings about your involvement, uh, folks in the Crow's Nest Pass in that beautiful part of the country along Highway 3. Uh, but, you know, I mean, David's absolutely right. Um, the voice of farmers and ranchers, ag producers, uh, rural Albertans uh, in, in most instances in typically strong conservative ridings has been unignorable. And I think you could make the really strong argument that governments, uh, regardless of, of, of partisan stripe, are, are going to be moved 
most strongly when their base reacts in a fashion like we've seen here. Have you actually seen a lot of blowback? I mean, I, I would imagine to a certain degree that is joking around, but but I would imagine you've also had a lot of support from ranchers. Is this is this sort of a population divided as you perceive it? There's been a lot less pushback than I braced myself for at the beginning, really. There's a there's a small group of people that just have a reaction a negative reaction whenever they hear anything at all about resources versus environment. They're just knee jerk reaction. They they have nothing good to say about it so I, I can't really deal with those people if that's the way they are that's the way they are the other group of people are people who are living in communities who would be directly affected by the job opportunities which i understand but all of these things well everything in life you have to look at the pluses and the minuses on the grand balance sheet and i just can't see how as you know i i totally understand jobs are important but a few, a few hundred jobs per mine doesn't add up to the to the potential costs in in you know in other economic areas and also most importantly the huge costs that could could be incurred uh, if there's some environmental impacts down the road for decades to come right yeah the, the, the main the main point I wanted to make today is if you don't mind Ryan is that this thing is far from over and and the the government has done a couple things that have made a lot of people think that the issue has been resolved and it hasn't like they did reinst- reinstate the coal policy. And they did start up this consultation process, but uh, this thing is not at all over and it's more urgent than ever because now's the time that we really have to get get the attention of the government because if the coal mines once get in that area, it's going to be really, really hard to get them out. And, you know, despite the fact that the policy has been put back in place, they're still exploring up there like main, like uh, like hell. And I talked to some of the coal reps two weeks ago and they said there'll be more exploration in some of the category two areas than there was last summer starting in May. And that tells me, uh, you know, they're planning, uh, they're planning on uh, like they don't invest money in exploration unless they have pretty clear ideas that they can be able to mine up there. So I don't have a lot of faith that that it's that the government shut them down despite the policy being back in place. And as far as the consultation goes, Dave and I agree on just about everything, but he's way more polite than I am. (laughs) I think there's been a pattern of disingenuous (laughs) communication about this whole issue right from the beginning. And I don't have a whole lot of trust in the, in the, in this. I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic, but I'm very cautious about, about how independent this is going to end up being and, and, and how, you know, how, how much of a non-prejudged outcome this is going to lead us to. The good, the good thing about uh, the consultation is there's a survey out right now um, on the Alberta.ca website that everybody needs to take because it's, uh, it, it closes in, in uh, two weeks, I think, on the 19th. And the survey itself I'm not impressed by. And we don't know if this is a preliminary survey or if it's the main survey because, as usual, the government isn't telling us much. But the one good thing about it that we all need to uh, react to is that there's three or four it's multiple choice, but there's three or four spots on it that are uh, open where you can put in your own comments. So we need everybody in Alberta to blast the government with their thoughts. If they think water should be involved in this thing in the examination of the issues, which it isn't at this point, if they think that exploration should be stopped, if they think there shouldn't be mining in the eastern slopes at all, all those things should be entered into the survey and sent into the government as, as soon as possible. Yeah, I've talked to I've talked to some pollsters about this survey, Corb. And uh, quite frankly, a lot of people think it's bullshit because because you've taken it right. Like it kind of has the tone. I mean, it doesn't actually say this, but it kind of takes the tone of of like 
How affected are you by this? How much do you actually know about this? And if you don't know much about this, then fuck off. Like, that's kind of the tone that the survey takes. Polling is all about how you frame the questions. I actually have a high school buddy who's a professional pollster too. And he, what he told me when I talked to him about it was that if it's, if it's only meant as a preliminary testing the waters thing, and there's many more surveys to come, it might be sort of adequate, but if this is anything like the main survey, it's yeah, it's bullshit. And as usual, we don't know because the government hasn't told us much. So I don't put a lot of stock in myself. But like I said, the silver lining is there are three or four open spots in it where you can add your own thoughts. And despite the fact that we don't put a lot of faith in it, we must take the opportunity to express our thoughts about this to the government ASAP. Well, I've never I've I've been in public commentary for 15 years and and I've never I mean, we asked for it. We invited people to CC us to talk at RyanJesperson.com to emails to the provincial government, to their MLAs, ministers and to the premier. And I've never seen anything like it. I haven't seen anything like it in 15 years. People are fired up and it's from every corner of the province. It's from people from different political uh, affiliations. It's remarkable. It's troubling and it's also encouraging uh, Katie, do you do, do you share David's optimism? I'm pigeonholing everybody here. Do you, do you share David's optimism? Do you share Corb's cynicism uh, when it comes to the consultation process and government messaging and maybe a predetermined outcome of this survey? I mean, where do you land on it? Yeah, I, I, I think I fall in, in the middle between uh, Corb and David. Um, and so, I, yeah, like 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 Corb, I was really frustrated by the survey and um, not necessarily by the panel itself, although I, I agree with David that the panel is lacking expertise in certain areas. Um, but, but when the panel came out or when they announced the panel, they released no terms of reference, no scope. We actually don't know how independent the panel is, what their mandate is, how, how wide they're allowed to consult with us, whether, as Corb says, it's about water or is it just about how and where we do coal development. And when you look at the survey, the survey really is about if we regulate this enough, are you going to be okay with it? Um, and I think that's the wrong frame. I think we really need to push this frame to, you know, the big picture of this landscape and not start with how we do coal mining, but what are the values of this landscape to Albertans? Is it water, fish and wildlife? Is it recreation? Is it other economic um, uh, industries that are using this same landscape? And then decide if coal has a place um, you know, speaking of polls, we right before this, the consultation was released, uh, we actually commissioned a poll through um, Leger, which is um, you know a major marketing and, and polling firm, and and that poll said that uh, 76% of Albertans want more protection on the eastern slopes versus more industrial development, um, and about two thirds of those who were aware of the, aware of the coal issue did not want any coal mining at all, or, or exploration for that matter. Um, so I think they're, they're starting with the wrong questions, uh, and I'm really hoping that, that that can turn around. So there's the optimism. Um, I'm hoping that we can turn that around through really pushing back on, on this survey. Real talkers are chiming in right now live as they're watching this interview, this panel. And and uh, I mean, Gina says the survey is skewed and biased. You've got to read the questions very carefully. You've got to answer 
uh, very carefully. Emma says the first question, uh, to what extent does coal mining impact you? And then all caps, uh, it affects all of us, uh, which I think Emma's bang on there. But I, I don't blame people for being cynical about this. It's, this isn't the only issue that the government's been been caught on. Right. There, there was no talk on the campaign about taking pensions and moving them around and commandeering them. And there was no talk about putting a billion dollars into a doomed pipeline. And there was no talk about an Alberta police force and, and, and the curriculum overhaul has demolished any remaining good faith that I think a lot of people had in the government. So, David, people, everyday folks like us, people that don't have 50 years of experience like you do, people that didn't sit in the in the premier's office with Peter Lougheed and, and, and hammer out policy, want to know more. We want to understand what's most important here. We need to understand the priorities, but we recognize that politicians can be slippery and the process can be slippery. You know exactly what I'm talking about, and they can talk around us and, and they can gaslight us and they can make us feel like we don't know what we're talking about, so we shouldn't be talking. So what's the most important thing for the thousands of people that are going to watch or listen to this interview to focus on? What's the ball that we need to keep our eye on? The immediate ball right now is what both Katie and Corvo talked about is fill out the survey. Even though you may have concerns with the survey and the way it's structured, this is our opportunity as Albertans to provide the panel with our perspective. Some of the, the questions are just a question and answer where you can just check off things, but in those boxes, where there's an opportunity to provide detailed input, I encourage every Albertan to do that. My understanding is this survey is not the consultation process. This is to provide information to the panel to help the panel design the consultation process, which will begin sometime later this month or early next month. So I would Caution people that, yes, the survey is not perfect, but let's use this opportunity to get our voices heard about what we would like to see the panel address and ideas about what that process might look like. Um, the other aspect I would say is coming back to, to the minister. Um, minister Savage is the the only minister of the crown who has admitted publicly that the government made a mistake when it rescinded the coal policy. And she's the only, go only government minister who has said that she wants to fix it. Is From our perspective, is her process perfect in trying to fix it? No. But it's a heck of a lot better than something that might be led by Jason Nixon or the premier. And so let's work with what we have. Let's try to improve it, provide our best recommendations about where it needs to be improved and how it needs to be improved and uh, not lose sight of And for government folks. It's important. It's about the lack of trust. Can trust is lost in an instant. The government of Alberta, when it rescinded the coal policy in June of last year, it not only lost our trust, it betrayed the trust that we had given the government 
when we elected them to manage our resources in the eastern slopes in our best collective interest. And we know all that backstory now of, of how they consulted only with the coal companies and so on. So understandably, our trust with the government and our trust with Minister Savage has been lost. I, that trust I, will not be regained in 24 hours. It's going to take months and months of saying things and doing things and demonstrating that what the minister says actually happens. And if we can see the actual tangible act com action coming from what she said, if she delivers on that, then we'll slowly start to build the trust back. So, so to be clear, David, we should thank our lucky stars that the environment minister <laughs> is not touching the coal policy. We should Absolutely. we should thank our lucky stars that the Minister of Environment and Parks is staying away from the coal policy. Okay. Yeah. Just we, we could spend the rest of the day talking about that issue alone. Yeah, I I don't even know what to say about that. I laugh so I don't have tears streaming down my face. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't see. I mean, Corb, I'm curious for, for your opinion on this. I mean, David, forever the optimist. And David, I admire it. I'm not taking a swipe at you. I love it. I, I wish there was more optimism and good faith in politics and in political commentary. But but I don't know about regaining the trust. I mean, <laughs> to me, it's like. You know, the, the, there are so many, you know, people writing in when I when I went off this laundry list of things that the government didn't campaign on and they're doing. So a guy wrote me a message and said, you haven't even talked about car insurance and removing the caps there. You haven't even talked about school fees. You haven't even talked about pulling funding from supervised consumption services. The list, I mean, like regaining the trust. I don't think so. I, I think it's actually a complicated relationship right now with with Albertans and this government, to be frank. Do you? Oh, I completely agree. I, when it comes to to trust that the government in its entirety and everything that they've, they've touched has fallen apart. No, I'm, I'm talking specifically about trusting Minister Savage around moving forward on the coal policy and trying to address what was a, ser was a fundamental flaw and mistake that they made in June when they rescinded it. Uh, the other issues from school curriculum to pensions to doctors and nurses salaries, but those, well, they'll never, re the government will never regain our trust on that. Yeah. From my perspective. And, and quite frankly, I don't think that the premier loses sleep over that either. Um, we're, we're grateful that we have a, and Corb, I'm going to come to you in just a second. Uh, what we want to do is we want to loop in uh, Mandy Olsgaard, who's agreed to join us, a toxicologist. Uh, David, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And, and on behalf of Alberta and, and Canadians, uh, thank you for your continued advocacy. Uh, it's important for us to know that people that are educated and reasonable and, and that give a shit are advising this government and, and, and on behalf of this listening and this viewing audience. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Uh, that's David Luff. Um, you know, Katie Morrison's going to hang out with us. Corb Lund is going to hang out with us. And in just a moment, uh, Sam's going to bring her in. We'll meet Mandy Olsgaard. Ma Mandy's got a fascinating background, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this, formerly with uh, the Alberta Energy Regulator, the AER, right? She's currently a uh, senior toxicologist, the owner of a consulting firm called Integrated Toxicology Solutions. But, but Mandy previously was the senior environmental toxicologist at 
the Alberta Energy Regulator reporting to the chief environmental scientist. And so as a toxicologist and as a risk assessor, uh, she spent the last 15 years designing and completing studies to understand and mitigate risk to both human and environmental health from exposure to chemicals associated with energy development projects. Uh, Sam, is Mandy ready to rock and roll right now? Just getting her audio set up. Is it possible to bring Corb in alone or does that complicate it technically for you? Uh, Let's see what we can do. Because I know know that Corb, I can see, has something to say here and I'm curious to know, I mean, the assessment of, or or, or the the concept of rebuilding trust, I, I think that once it's broken, there are scenarios in life we could use lots of metaphors where like when the trust is gone, she gone and i wonder if that's the situation here let, let, let me jump in on the live chat and see, two beaver says you know, in treaty eight territory they want to open like another 20 percent of the territory for increased logging and he says there's hardly a tree older than 15 years as is with no consultation with the nations that's another story that deserves to be on our radar uh, mark doran is chiming in and i'm grateful to know that mark is watching the show you remember you can search his past interview with us mark uh, has taken on um, Alberta's Orphan Wells, and uh, they're doing a, a lot of work to advocate for those to be cleaned up, for that environmental uh, problem to be addressed in meaningful fashion. Uh, I encourage you to check out that interview we did with Mark Doran. I guess it was about, I don't know, six weeks ago. He says, with due respect to everybody, this is not about trust, says Mark. He says it's about property rights, it's about environmental laws, and it's about administrative decision making. Uh, which is a good and fair point from Mark. He says, Minister Savage does not issue exploratory or mine permits and licenses. The Alberta Energy Regulator does. These mines can be stopped, uh, but not by government decision, by AER decision. How are we looking, Sam? Ready to rock and roll? Can we get Corby Lund? Uh, Corb, let me ask you this, or is Mandy ready to go too? Let's bring them all in. Just show me the screen and we'll rock and roll with what we're dealing with here. Corb, would you, would you agree? I mean, when, when it comes to Mandy, first of all, good morning to you and welcome to the show. And thanks for making time for us. We appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry, I'm having some issues here. Don't, don't worry about it. You and Sam can can sort that out. Why don't we just bring Corb up full screen? Uh, Corb, on the trust file, on the trust issue, I mean, what's your assessment there? What are the implications of this sort of writ large? Well, I think it's good that people with David's point of view are working with the government to try to uh, try to, to steer them in the right direction. But what do they say? Uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. <laughs> like, I feel like, um, I feel like, I said before, there's been a chain of misleading and disingenuous BS around this coal issue from the very beginning, starting with talking to the coal com- allegedly talking to the coal companies about changing the policy back in summer 19 and not, and not telling Albertans about it until when they actually changed it with no consultation in 2020. And then if you remember, Minister Savage came out with a big press release about how she'd heard Albertans and how she canceled some leases and it turned out to be 0.2% of the leases. It just seems like, uh, and even the premier himself trying to paint this issue as an urban versus rural thing, which is very, very deeply wrong. Everybody that I've talked to initially about this was an, a, a rural person. And it seems like every at every opportunity, instead of trying to, uh, you know, actually address the problem what they do is they try to come up with another transparent juvenile gambit to try to fool us and it just pisses everybody off right and I'm, again i've said this a million times nothing to do with parties i don't like any of the political parties i'm 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 party uh, neutral but but in this case it happens to be these guys pulling this stuff so i'm going to speak about it 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, Mandy, I want to officially welcome you to the show. You you come at this from such an interesting angle, having done a lot of work with Alberta's energy regulator, now working uh, as a toxicologist on this file. Can, can you help us understand the role that you were doing previously with the AER and how that impacts your perspective now on the work that you're doing as we speak? Mandy, can you hear me? No, sorry, I can't hear okay, the question. Okay, Sam, let's 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 just let's sort of put that one on the shelf and and we can figure that out later. You let me know if we're ready to rock and roll on that. Katie, this is I mean, David David asserts to us and and David says that we've we've gained a lot of ground on this on, on the file you know we've 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 made some progress um I, I i can't remember what his exact words were but he said you know we, we we've gained some ground here have there been some wins i mean aside from the initial flare-up that forced this government to say okay well okay we'll, we'll, we'll tap the brakes here i mean all i've seen uh, messages from people and, and i don't have the knowledge or depth of understanding to process it all but most people are saying there even this is trickery there's so much stuff still going on people are writing on our live chat right now that they're seeing they're, they're seeing access roads being cleared right now as we speak. I mean, I mean, what's the reality of what is still going on right now? Yeah, and I think that's when we were talking about trust. Um, that's a really big piece for me and, and my lack of trust. And I think a lot of people's lack of trust in this consultation process is that there are still companies out there building access roads, drilling drill pads, doing their environmental baseline studies in preparation for their, their mine applications. And all of that is happening while we're having this conversation, supposedly this open independent conversation with no predetermined outcomes. Uh, but that's really hard to believe and that's really hard to trust um, when we are seeing these companies just continuing to move forward. And so I think that that is something that the minister needs to deal with immediately. Um, you know, David, David you know, has some faith in her as far as where she's going with this process. But I'm having trouble having faith in her and this process until she directs the Alberta Energy Regulator um, to stop that exploration activity that's happening on the ground right now. I'm really hoping that, that we can chat with Mandy here. Mandy, can you hear me now by chance? Is there any way that you can hear me, Mandy? Oh, I hate to do this. I think I think we've got to drop Mandy from the call, Sam. And thanks so much, which is really unfortunate because Mandy's doing just incredible work. Katie, can, can can I task you, Katie, with helping us understand? I mean, it feels like a silly question because she's still here with us in spirit anyway. Uh, but the work that Mandy's doing and why it's so important that the toxicology reports and the monitoring that's going on right now. Can you bring us up to speed? Yeah, I'll try. And it's really too bad that Mandy wasn't being able to connect because yeah. she does have a wealth of information around around the AER, but also the work that she's doing with the Pekisco and Corb jump in if I'm getting any of this um, wrong, because I know you're, you're talking to those folks as well. But, you know, Mandy is working with um, with the Pekisco group, the ranching group that was at the forefront uh, of the coal issue and, and the folks that took uh, was taking the government to court through the judicial review. Um, they've engaged Mandy to do essentially what the government should be doing. Some of this baseline understanding of air quality um, and, and health effects uh, of, of potential coal mines in the future, collecting that data now of what the air quality is um, and, and then projecting how that would be affected by you know, six mines in that region between Kananaskis and Crozenas Pass. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's amazing she's doing that work and I think it's something that that she shouldn't have to do that work. It shouldn't be the private landowners that are engaging her to do that. It should be something that the government is doing first before we even have these discussions 
of, of whether coal mines should go there. It seems like such an yeah. obvious thing to say, right, Corb? I mean, like this what Katie's yeah, saying. That's, so- that's to- Katie's totally right. Like Mandy is an expert. I've talked to her quite a bit. She's a toxicologist. She she educated me a lot about the effects of selenium. I, I think I can speak on her behalf and say that she's very much concerned about this whole situation. But yeah, I think what Katie was saying is a really key point. Uh, these studies are being done independently and funded independently by the ranchers, by the citizens of Alberta themselves out of their own pockets. They're doing an air quality study with, with uh, Mandy and then also doing a water quality and allocation study with someone else. And they're paying for them themselves because the government hasn't done it. They haven't done a water study. They haven't done an air quality study. So ranchers and landowners in that area are pointing up the dough themselves to do the studies themselves, which is, you know, chew on that. I mean, Katie, what does that say? I mean, it's just like to me, it's like the fact that that wouldn't be a priority of this government, the fact that that would even be remotely acceptable. uh, uh, I I guess, to be honest, I'm not surprised at all, uh, which is which is a bit of an indictment. Um, But what on earth? I mean, is is this are we in unprecedented territory with regards to your experience in in environmental advocacy and, and conservation direction? In some ways we're, in some ways we're not, you know, and I think uh, whatever, whoever wrote in and said that it's not just about trust, uh, it, it is partly about trust because we are in a process that we need to trust the government, but it is also about our system that is set up and how we manage these things. And, you know, I've talked before and, and other folks have about um, the, the lack of faith in the regulatory system. Uh, and, and that is what the government is purporting to rely on as the fallback, you know, when they rescinded the coal policy, they said, we don't need the coal policy anymore because we have this strict regulatory um, program. We have the best monitoring in the world. We have the strongest environmental regulations. Um, and most of that is n- not true. Uh, but, but it also means when we see things like this, where we, you know, we just don't have the air quality studies, they're not doing the monitoring um, at, at the baseline. We've seen a few times, you know, up um, in, in the rivers in, in sort of northern Alberta where they're seeing high selenium levels from, from mines that just, it, you know, it, it went under the radar. Um, it, the system of how we regulate uh, something like coal mines is not really working. And so it's not something we can rely on uh, to stop the damage or mitigate the damage of of these mines going forward, which is why we need a a new landscape policy that that just says, you know, there are areas that coal mining is just not appropriate, period, because we we can't mitigate the damage uh, and we can't monitor away the damage. And I think that sort of the, the, the study that she's doing is symptomatic of that. I, I'm curious for both of your take on this. I, I would have loved to, to ask Mandy about it, but it was about a year ago um, that this government brought in Lori Pusher uh, as the new CEO of the Alberta Energy Regulator. And in, in, in a great piece um, by Jenny Russell and Charles Rosnell, who do a great job as investigative journalists at the CBC, they write how the new Alberta Energy Regulator CEO, this was last April, was a central figure in uh, a scandal in Saskatchewan, the newly appointed chief executive officer, a central figure in a Saskatchewan government land deal scandal that cost taxpayers millions of dollars, was the subject of a scathing audit and prompted an RCMP investigation. Can people trust the AER? I mean, Corb, what's what's your sense? 
I'm not educated on that particular issue, Ryan, but I, I don't really trust them, though, in general. <laughs> I, I mean, not as people. I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know them by name, but I just, I just don't think leaving something this critical to a regulatory board, which, you know, they're human and they might be subject to influence or subject to industry capture or subject to all kinds of things. I just, I just don't think it's safe or, or prudent to leave these huge decisions just to the regulatory board without an overarching policy to govern that. And Katie, this is what I want to say, like when we, when we have like real talk about situations like this, the real talk is that the average person that you'd stop on the street or stop on a hiking trail and say, tell me what you know about the Alberta Energy Regulator. <laughs> tell me the name of one person that works there. Tell me what they do. Tell me how they're appointed. Tell me their involvement in resource. De- like, honestly, I'm not saying this in an insulting way. The, I mean, the fact is the average person has no idea. Yeah, I mean, that's not something that people are sitting around doing is looking at the Alberta Energy Regulator and how they work. Uh, and I think that's another piece of the issue that, you know, one of the ways that we've uh, found as we've been engaging in these pieces, how hard it is for the public to engage with the Alberta Energy Regulator on these issues. You know, as we've been dealing with all the expiration and those are being approved very quickly through the Alberta Energy Regulator with what we believe is not very good oversight. Um, we've been trying to engage and it. It is a massive process to find the information, to be able to put your concerns in. Um, when your concerns are in, only very few select people who are considered directly affected are really, are really a, a allowed to engage or that they're really heard on these issues and, and even then not, not really. So when we talk about, you know, public engagement as well and, and, and we're in this new consultation process. Um, we also really can't rely on the, on the regulator um, for public engagement. We, we really need to be engaging in this public consultation process on the policy because we don't want to, nor is it very easy to engage project by project and, and each exploration and each water withdrawal and, and all of that. It's, it's really complicated and not something the public can or wants to be engaged on marie on our live chat says you know mandy uh the toxicologist mandy uh olskart uh is working with the livingstone landowners group on this research uh, marie says please direct real talkers to our concert series uh, which they're using to raise funds to support that research uh so um on mass i would encourage all of you to check out the livingstone landowners group and uh do what you can to support their concert series um, I mean, the comments here are, are remarkable, right? I mean, Daniel chimes in. It's anecdotal, but he says I had a lot of premature calves uh, one year. And he says and I had the, the, the vet check them out, like with regards to an autopsy. And he says, I still suspect poor air quality. Um, Ken says the nuts and bolts people at the energy regulator do good work. Ken says the issue is how their work is directed at the political level. They're directed off or away from monitoring and reporting. If it doesn't serve donor interest, Mark follows up on that. He says they stopped doing monitoring in many places due to the pandemic this year. We talked about that story months ago. He says they can have all all the high standards they want, uh, but without monitoring, it's absolutely useless. And Scott says, I absolutely hate this conversation. I'm thankful for it, but it's ridiculous that we need to have it. He says this government seems to stand for nothing but corporations, and it sickens me. I'm sure, Katie, that you would rather talk about expanding parkland and hiking trails and, and some of your favorite trout fishing lakes. What, what's what's the last year or so? What's the last six months been like uh, for you and for the team at Sea Paws? I mean, the volunteer outpouring. 
I should say how proud I was last night to to recognize and celebrate CPAW's volunteers at your volunteer appreciation night. And it meant a lot to speak to them and to address them and to tell them I wish I could have looked into their eyes, but to tell them how grateful I am for the service. You've certainly seen an uptick in interest and in support, but I would imagine it's been exhausting. Yeah, it's it is double sword. It has been exhausting. We, it, you know, between the parks issue and the coal issue, neither of which I ever thought I would ever have to deal with, and I don't think Albertans ever thought they would have to deal with. Um, the last year has been really, really hard. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, the the massive outpouring and engagement of Albertans on both of those issues has been really inspiring. Um, I think it's been inspiring to me, but I think Albertans are inspiring each other on on these things, um, how they're getting engaged and and how they're finding their own voices and really speaking out and, and making change. You know, David mentioned at the beginning, we do have to look at how far we've come on this. You know, when the, when the government rescinded the coal policy um, last May, and, and it took a long time, I think, for various reasons, you know, pandemic being one of them, uh, for people to really... Uh, hear and understand what was going on, uh, but but once they have, um, it's really just grown bigger than than anything I've ever seen. Uh, and we are forcing the government to do things. I I don't think we're I don't think we've got them where we want them yet. Um, but but the fact that they they keep re- reacting to us um, as Albertans, I think that's a that's a really inspiring thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like uh, the trust issue aside, I mean, that's that's a that's a lofty goal. But what I've seen and what we've all seen is that when we when we make a big noise, we force the government to listen to us. And it's been like Katie said, it's been pretty inspiring to me. It's been really moving to see such a wide range of Albertans, uh, you know, both sides, the political aisle, rural people, First Nations people, uh, urban people all get together on this because it seems very important to a lot of people. But yeah, trust or no trust, if we're loud enough, we can we can make them do things. We've seen that. So one thing we got to do, I want to reiterate is take this survey and you can find it by going, you can just Google, there's not a, there's not a clean link for it that I can find, but if you Google Alberta coal survey, you'll, you'll find it. It's on the alberta.ca website and make sure that you let your, let them know your thoughts in the fill in the blank sections. So take the survey, tell all your family and friends to take the survey Take the survey. Take the survey. And in the meantime, continue to write your MLA about yes. stopping the expiration. Call um, them too. Call, call your yeah. MLA. Make them meet with you. Make them make them take time out of their day and listen to listen to you. Refuse to be ignored. I mean, that's what it is, right? It's amazing. It's like everyday Albertans have become household names now because of this, because of their citizen action. Um, and I'm happy to tell you that Laura Lang, who's been on the show before, and I, do, I know that both of you uh, have a lot of respect for um, She's texting me. Uh, she says, can we please set up Mandy for an interview at another time? I said, absolutely. So we're going to get her on, uh, assuming uh, that it works for Mandy. We'll get her on Monday morning and people can see that interview. She says you know, the research that we, we've engaged her on uh, to understand the impact from the potential Minds to animals to livestock health to human health, uh, Laura says. And then uh, she says, you actually want to be talking about, the, is it the Pakisco group? Uh, Brad Stelfox is working with the Livingstone landowners in a separate water study, uh, says, uh, says Laura. We're all working independently, but also collaboratively. So, I mean, these these are Albertans that are, that are stepping up and, and taking action on this, commissioning studies and surveys. And I mean, it really is uh, remarkable. 
Katie, we're going to we're going to hand things over to Corb and I'm going to do a not so impromptu request for an intimate and interactive show (laughs) exclusive to Real Talkers. But before we do that, I I would hate to have you send me a message later and say, I wish we would have had a chance to mention that one last thing. You've got the ear of people right now. You've got our full attention aside from taking the survey. Uh, which Corb's been very clear how he feels about the survey. And I know that hundreds of people are going to go right now and take the survey. Uh, what's one other thing that you'd like us to focus on or do? Yeah. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, just, just keep going. I think, I think it's, this is a long haul. Um, we're only at the start, unfortunately. Um, and so to, to stay engaged, to keep going, um, right. Take the survey, but also, as we talked about, write your MLAs, call your MLAs, um, they need to know that this is not this has not gone away, um, that that we're still paying attention um, and that we're we're still watching and we're going to hold them accountable. Good stuff. Uh, that's Katie Morrison, uh, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, CPOS. She's our con- uh, conservation director. You know, in, in 15 years of broadcasting, I still get tripped up every time on conversation and conservation, especially talking about having conversations about conservation. But Katie, it's your wheelhouse. And we're always grateful to have you here on the show. Thank you for this. Thanks for having me on. Corb, before we a- ask uh, to be exposed to your dulcet tones, would you like to talk about something serious? Give us a charge, so to speak. Let's have a conversation about a consultation on conservation. Oh, How about that, buddy? That's why you're the singer songwriter, not me. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I, yeah, it is too bad about Mandy. I hope you can get her back on. She's a badass. She's extremely smart and extremely experienced and ex- extremely relevant to this issue. Yeah, yep. she'll be. I mean, and she'll you know, be on on I, Monday if it works for her. We'll we'll do her like we'll have her on out of the gates. Hopefully, eight forty a.m. Mountain on Monday. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny because one of the things I hear, you know, social media is a swamp. But one of the things I hear is, you know, if you're not a conservation expert or if you're not a policy expert or if you're not a, you know, toxicologist, shut up and play guitar. Well, these people are and they do a lot of work and they don't get any credit because all I am in this situation is a loudspeaker, really. But people like Katie and David and Mandy and and Brad Stelfox and Laura and all those people have been working behind the scenes to make this keep this in the public eye. And you know, it's, it's hard because the government has an advantage because they do this stuff day in, day out. We all have lives to, li- to live and jobs to do. So it's difficult for people like us to, to maintain the, keep the water boiling on this issue because the government can drag it out. And what they do, you know, I'm, I've been trying, I'm trying to stay positive, but what it seems like the government does is they'll say, oh, okay, we'll restore the policy. All done. Okay, we'll have a consultation. All done. Okay, we'll cancel the leases. All done. And these are just red herrings in a lot of cases that they throw throw out to keep the public calm, right? But like Katie said, we have to keep our eye on the long game here because this is going to be a long grind and they have deep pockets. And it's really important because if they once get in there, the Rockies are never going to be the same. So this is the this is this is the goal line stand. This is the time to do it. That's well said, Corb. Uh, I want to give you time to get your guitar. Let me break for, for just two seconds and, and remind our listening audience that the team at Friesen Brothers has been proudly supporting Alberta producers. I mean, we're talking about ranchers and farmers right now. Friesen Brothers, for more than 60 years, has been proudly Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. And that means from Alberta honey to Alberta milled flour and their famous sourdough bread, to Alberta beef and pork and chicken and turkey, to Alberta produce whenever they can get it, you'll find a selection like you won't find anywhere else at Friesen Brothers. I recommend the sourdough cinnamon buns. I dare you to tell me 
they're not the best you've ever had. Friesen Brothers 15th Alberta location now open in South Edmonton, just off the Anthony Henday at Rabbit Hill Road. We also wanted to remind you that the team at Kubi Energy handles all the paperwork and the planning. If you're considering going more sustainable on the energy front, have you looked into solar for, for your residence? Maybe for your recreation property? What about for your business or, or, or maybe even your big industrial operation? They do it all headquartered out of Edmonton with an office in Kamloops as well. It means that they can serve Western Canadians with their Tesla certified installers. And as mentioned, they handle all the paperwork to make sure you get every rebate that you're entitled to. Also wanted to give a big shout out to the team at Eden Landscaping today. What an exciting time of year for them. They get to start digging into the projects that they've been designing for their clients and their partners through the winter months. That's a big part of dealing with Eden Landscaping. You don't have to hire a landscape architect, then hire somebody else to build it. You have consistency with their team that's been at it for more than 20 years. If you want to see some of the amazing reinventions that they've made happen in people's front and backyards, maybe it's a new house that you're building and you want to live the dream that you just can't stop thinking about, check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, he is one of Canada's most beloved singer-songwriters, to say the very least. I remember the first time I ever heard him perform as the lead singer of The Smalls. Of course, he's gone on since then to release, Corb, is it nine or ten records? Nine albums, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's nine. (laughs) Off the top of my head, I think it's nine. I know at least three of them are gold, and you're a great friend of this show. It's a total pleasure to hand it over to Corb Lund. Thanks. I was actually the bass player in the smalls. Mike Caldwell was the singer. But you had a mic in front of you. Yeah, I was the backup singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is the kind of last minute, but um, one thing we didn't touch on a whole bunch is that is that uh, First Nations folks are going to be affected by this stuff as much as anybody, and uh, there's supposed to be a consultation with them too, and we're not sure how that's going. But uh, this is a song for the, the Blackfoot folks. I got a cousin named Terry Ivins who's a Blackfoot playwright. This is for him too. The truth comes out as the fire burns low. It comes to light as only embers glow. The whiskey talks, the west wind moans in the night. The dead falls gathered and the branches are cut. The kindling crackles and the smoke curls up. The small sticks catch, then the bigger stuff will burn. Chinook dies down as the dark descends and the pine is burned. The ash is cleansed, the message smolders, is lost but finally sent. Well, Connie says she's never seen the cougar so bold. They're coming in the yard and they're stealing young colts. They drag them in the brush with the claws sunk in their nose. The weather's been funny 30 years or so. The winter's got warm and there's not as much snow. Hear the big cats coming because there's nowhere left to go. You gotta look out for bear when you're fishing on Leash Creek. They'll come round the bend and they'll make your knees weak. There's grizzlies where there was no grizzly bears before.
I have heard voices from the ghosts from the graves. The grandfathers tell us the mouths of the caves. Only old chiefs older than Jesus can save us now, if we're lucky. The white man lights a big fire, stays cold. The red man's warmer, but the old man's old. The antelope seeks the buffalo in the night. Yeah, the antelope mourns the buffalo in the night. You gotta look out for bear when you're fishing on Lee's Creek. They'll come round the bend and they'll make your knees weak. There's grizzlies where there was no grizzly bears before. The truth comes out as the fire burns low. It comes to light as only embers glow. Antelope seeks the buffalo in the night. The great Corb Lund. There you have it. You can check out his deluxe album, Agricultural Tragic, at CorbLund.com. Give him a follow on Twitter and take the survey. Take the survey. Hey, Corb, it's great to connect with you again, my man. Thanks for making this happen. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Ron. Take care. You bet. That's Corb Lund. And I promise you, Real Talkers, the minute that we can get Mandy Olsgaard on the show we're going to, I'm hoping that that's going to be Monday at 840. But to be fair to Mandy, I've not talked to her team yet. I have no idea if that time slot's going to work for her, but we will get her on uh, on you know early next week, let's say. And of course, we confirm that. Uh, you can always find uh, more about the guests that are coming up on the show in one of two ways. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Jesperson. Um, my wife tells me, and she's right, that I do a very lousy job on Instagram. I'm not, I'm not great at Instagram, Sam, um, and, and, and Sam uh, is, is acknowledging that I, I could do better. I could I, do I'm actually laughing because I'm I'm also not great at Instagram lately. I so think you're, I, well, maybe lately, yeah. your Instagram game is strong. I like when, when when you're on it. So I've learned that I think I kind of have capacity for like one dominant social media. And for years, I was I was mostly just working as a photographer, videographer. So I, I would be on Instagram constantly. Uh, and then when I started doing this show, I've been on Twitter a lot more, and Instagram's kind of fallen off the radar. So if I'm learning anything about myself, it's it's that. One always takes over all the other ones that, that that's a that's a fair assessment. And if I if I were able to spread my time out better, I'd be better at Facebook and I'd be better at Instagram. But I spend so much damn time on Twitter. I, I can't stay up. It's, I mean, it's, it's what do you want? It's the it's the hashtag real talk. RJ, we have we have the best problem in the world, which is as an independent digital media startup, we have an engaged audience that refuses to be ignored. That might have to be our first billboard. Refuse to be ignored. I like it. We're, we're, we have like a new slogan every single day. Um, it's true. We, we do. do. We could yeah. have like a, we could have a rotating. We'd be like, uh, you know, those those stores that have the great signs out front where they change them from time to time, uh, you know, with something to make you smile or something to make you laugh. Um, you know, oftentimes like you get like the clever pastor at the church. That's Are you saying have we some need a real talk words. marquee? We do need a marquee. And I yeah. already know where I know where you're trying to steer this. <laughs> Sam, can, can we take people? I know exactly what you're trying to do here. You're trying to manipulate me on the record to sign a lease and and take over a massive historic theater in Edmonton's legendary old Strathcona neighborhood. I'm not saying we haven't discussed it, we, but you know, may, maybe down the road we'll we'll look into that. <laughs> we we have to we have to take it cool and we have to play it like we're not at all interested because if they hear us talking about real talk. 
you know, you know, taking over the marquee and, and, and being the flagship banner tenant at, at the historic and legendary Princess Theater. All of a sudden, it's going to be forty nine bucks a square foot. And there's yeah. no way even with our remarkable and amazing Patreon supporters. You see what I did there? We're still not going to be able to afford it. And so that, that's just, you know, we're going to have to play it cool on this one. What we're going to do is go back and we're just going to cut this part out of the show. So nobody's going to actually hear us talking about it whatsoever. You know. That there's a little something coming up. You know we're going to get you all kinds of riled up. I'm still trying to make a decision on the fly whether or not I can read David's email because it is so. I mean, <laughs> we had, you know we've oh, never. Oh, I know we we read this together yesterday. Like, like put it this show. way, like I'm actually editing his email and I'm coming in there and I'm and I'm and I'm actually making it a little bit more chill. I may, I'm I'm chilling his email out a little bit and substituting in words like jerk and pig because the words that David I don't think I can actually say it in front of a microphone. I think if I we tried, might get kicked off YouTube, we might get kicked off. We might get we might just get kicked off the internet. Yeah. If we read this uh, before I do that, before we get into I'm, I'm going to have to make this judgment call on the fly and I'm not going to read what they're saying in the live chat right now because I know all you're you're going to be like jump do it jump do it read it. The team at Grand Dog Essentials, Hard Swerve, wants you to look into their quality raw dog food. Let me tell you this. We feed our dogs their quality raw food. In other words, I feed this food to our family members, Moses and Monroe. And I was a customer of Grand Dog way before they came on board with Real Talk. So what I'm saying is I personally believe in the product. And I've seen what it's done for the health of our dogs. Moses, our soon-to-be nine-year-old boxer, has had issues with his guts ever since he was a puppy. Same with Monroe, as a matter of fact, our black lab. Both of them are living incredible, healthy lives, and they look incredible. Just check out my award-winning Instagram account if you'd like to see photos of our dogs. Uh... But seriously, it's because of what they're eating. It's because we consult with the team at granddog.ca and they've given us some pretty specific advice that has paid off in spades. Plus, they deliver to Calgary, Edmonton and Central Alberta. If you use the promo code REALTALK at granddog.ca, they're going to knock 10% off your first order. We also wanted to remind you that this is a great weekend to go grab a dipped cone to go grab a dilly bar hell to grab an entire ice cream cake and eat it however you like including just with a fork and no plate eat it right off the platter with an ice cream cake from dairy queen of northwest edmonton and sherwood park they've got six locations proudly locally owned by michael and mark and they love when you let them know in the drive through or even on your delivery app with a note that you're a real talker we thank them for their support Todd's Mechanical, this guy, this is the number I want you to write down. You know, like everybody has that number written down in the junk drawer. It's on a, it's like on a post-it note or, or it's written on a piece of scrap paper. This is the number you call when all hell breaks loose. When all of a sudden there's water coming through your light fixtures, when there's a major plumbing or mechanical problem that you need fixed, write meow. Todd's Mechanical is the call you want to make. The number you want to write down so you're not scrambling in the moment is 780-499-7598. The unofficial slogan, Todd's Mechanical. Call right now at 780-499-7598. I don't even know if Todd likes cats. I mean, Todd might be a dog guy going, can you please refrain? We could say Todd's Mechanical is like the catnip of mechanical providers. You'll you'll go crazy at his low, low prices and great quality. I'm trying too hard and I'm aware of it. 
The team at Alta Moving and Storage knows that this spring for you might involve a total overhaul of that storage room that's been driving you nuts or maybe the spare bedroom that you can't give up on granny's old armoire or, or grandpa's chest of drawers, but it doesn't fit the space. Why not consider a short or even longer term storage solution? And if you're looking to move, the pod-style moving containers at Alta Moving and Storage make it easy. They take the stress away. I encourage you to check them out online right now at altastorage.ca. And when you trust them with your move, make sure you let them know that you're a real talker. We're grateful for the support of Alta Moving and Storage. We're also grateful for the support of the team at Local Waste. Yeah, that's right. They love to talk trash as if we needed to tell you, especially this week. Each and every week, they present a little something we're about to get into. But let me remind you that for more than a quarter century, Local Waste Services has been earning the business of entrepreneurs and business owners across the province of Alberta and beyond. Doesn't matter if you're a small-time ma-and-pa-type operation or a big, massive conglomerate, they can handle, they can customize a solution for you. And they like when you refer to them by their first names. Chris, Lauren, and Mikkel, you'll find all the contact details at localwaste.ca, and we thank them for their support. It's a little something we do every Friday, Sam. It's a little something presented by the team at Local Waste, something we call Trash Talk! All right, these are emails sent to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Earmuffs on, kids, especially this week. Chris writes in to say, Jespo, you want to talk trash? How about the trash that's appearing along roadways and highways as the snow melts? What the fuck is wrong with people, wonders Chris? Stop littering. Stop traveling with unsecured loads. You litter bugs give the rest of us a bad name. That from Chris. How about this one from Crack Max? Make sure you follow them on Twitter at Crack max their trash talk this week even though calgary introduced the blue black and green bins over 10 years ago i've never used one i live in an apartment and we just use the garbage chute nice trash talk guys thanks very much how about this one from blake blake says i've lived in edmonton my entire life i've never been more disappointed or disgusted to live here than i've been through this pandemic all you stupid conspiracy theorists spouting off that you know better than scientists and doctors claiming this is some sort of a joke that it's just the flu that it's all designed for government control of everybody pull your heads out of your asses says blake if you truly believe this is not a thing that the doctors and scientists are wrong and that your friend joe bob on facebook who shared a meme that fit his rhetoric the next time you need medical assistance go to facebook instead of going to the hospital furthermore if you truly don't think this is a thing you damn well better not be in the lineup to get the vaccine i disagree there everybody should get the vaccine back to blake's email he says sit the fuck down shut the fuck up and stay the fuck home that from blake in this week's edition of trash talk this one from tim who says just well i'm sure you're receiving a boatload of submissions angry with other people for their choices during the pandemic yep just read one he says i get that i'm frustrated and bitter trust me but what irks me the most is this division that exists between all of us i can feel it in almost every interaction i have it's part of some strategy i think politicians use Use it to hold on to power, even to win. And they win if we all fight with one another. This may have been with within the realms of acceptable politicking in past, but during a pandemic with lives in the balance, it's doing incredible, possibly irreversible damage to our society's basic fiber. I can't for understand for the life of me how anybody would want that for Alberta. That from Tim. 
I love this one from James who writes in to say, I was watching a certain Calgary oil tycoon and D-lifts, D-list celebrity spout off on Twitter. He's talking about W. Brett Wilson. He says, it got me thinking about Brett's orphan wells. If we know they're his wells, they're not really orphans, are they? James says, so furthermore, I propose a new name. They're Deadbeat Dad Wells. That from James commenting on WBW's Deadbeat Dad Wells. This one from Tracy, who says, I was appalled when that pastor at Grace Life Church started using the Bible to attack people in the position keeping Albertans safe. I'm appalled at the amount of support for the church against restrictions we're all following. I'm appalled when the pastor got out of jail and tried to steer his flock in the wrong direction, and I'm happy to see the church shut down. The minister is purposely harming those around him, those he opens his doors to, and those who return home and leave to work, leaving the unknown to anybody else when it comes to catching the virus. Tracy says, as a Christian, it's hard to watch because I see so many good churches following guidelines and helping others in need. That from Tracy, who kept it classy. This from Marion, who said the list of UCP MLAs speaking out against these restrictions, that list of 17, has my blood boiling. The fact that they remained silent about the attack on our children's curriculum last week, but are now willing to speak up, is a sign of how much they value money over people. My greatest stress right now, says Marion, is not COVID. It's the disturbing actions of our government. What are they going to do next? How about this one from Holly, who says, hey, I tune in from Vancouver Island. Since day one as premier, Jason Kenney's been like a bully on a beach, kicking down all of Rachel Notley's carefully constructed sandcastles. Carbon tax sandcastle, kick it down. Childcare sandcastle, kick it down. Workers' comp sandcastle, kick it down. Oil by rail sandcastle, kick it down. Coal policy sandcastle, kick it down. Curriculum sandcastle, kick it the fuck down, says Holly. Now he's got to rebuild all those sandcastles himself, and guess what? They're ugly. They're crude. And when they get washed away because they're built below the tide line, he will no doubt blame somebody else. Says, my future now lies in BC. I'm glad my kids will be out there before that awful curriculum is forced on Alberta's children. Signed, Hopeless Holly. But here's the thing. The real kicker on her trash talk is the P.S. How did nobody mention Shit's Creek as the best comedy of all time? Hopeless Holly, very fair point. I felt like I let you all down. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read David's heavily redacted email. The subject line, again, earmuffs, kids. I've never said some of these words in front of a microphone before. The subject line is dirty motherfuckers. He says, I'm going to start with a confession. I gave up on trying to talk sense to this government last fall. Myself and a friend with school-age kids with underlying health conditions started up the wall of Alberta moms and dads to try to convince them to do anything to keep schools safe, even with more than 8,000 parents signing up in the first weekend and being on every news channel for weeks. All they did was buy tequila-scented hand sanitizer and some shitty discount masks. I'm involved in this for a simple reason, says David. My dear departed wife was a teacher at DS McKenzie for 30 years. Her fellow teachers are our extended family, and they're in danger. Well, now they're more in danger than ever. This deadly Brazilian variant will rip through schools. It could kill teachers, a lot of them. Not closing schools till the pandemic's under control is a criminal dereliction of duty to public safety. But I can't be mad at the UCP anymore. I just can't. I'm exhausted. So instead, says David, let me say a few words to the people that support this idiocy. You anti-mask, anti-lockdown, anti-science motherfuckers, you deserve our wrath. 
every bastard that goes out without a mask deserves an uppercut. Every jerk who has a dinner party deserves to be locked up. And those pious churchgoers who flout public health orders all deserve to go to hell, says David. This government is disintegrating due to sheer fucking incompetence in every aspect. But the selfish, pig-headed, drooling motherfuckers that enable them need to be called out and put down. So fuck Drew Barnes. Fuck religious cultists. Fuck the backroom boys that put together this shit show, says David, the dirty motherfuckers. And that's it. A riled up and rowdy edition of Trash Talk. You can send us your rants anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com and make sure to share this with somebody you think might enjoy it. We're back at it live Monday morning, 830 Mountain, 1030 Eastern. In the meantime, forever may you rock, real talkers.